Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Arden Labs podcast. And our special guest today is the one and only Jessica Green, all the way from Berlin. How are you today? Yeah, hello. <laughs> Good. We're having typical May-April weather. We just had a massive downpour outside. <laughs> oh, when does it start getting so hot that you can't even buy a fan? Well, isn't that like around June? I mean, you still got time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about weather in Berlin. We're ta- here to talk about you. So. Why don't you start very quickly and just give everybody like kind of two minutes around what you're doing today. Uh, so today I am a software engineer focused predominantly on backend uh, at Ecosia, which is the search engine that plants trees. And I have been working there for about two and a half years now. And it's actually my first job in tech. So I'm a career changer. Nice. And was is one of the reasons you went to work there because there's they're really focused on environmental issues with tech. Yeah, it was definitely a massive plus. Um, I have to say, when I was looking for my first job, I would have probably been open to pretty much any job, to be honest, as I think most people <laughs> would probably agree. Um, but it was definitely a huge draw for me. So my job just before getting into tech was in the coffee industry, in the speciality coffee industry. Um, where we were very much focused around telling the story of coffee producers and the whole process behind how coffee ends up in your cup. Um, So it really attracted me that this was another company that really focused on that message of sustainability um, and of people uh, and telling people's stories. Okay, I'm going to have you go all the way back to like when you're I can never remember what the equivalent is in Europe for like high school. They don't call it high school, right? In Europe, when you're like 15, 16, 17. It depends. There is a couple of different systems. I think it's middle school. Um, I technically went to what they call a grammar school, which sounds really fancy, um, but it's not that fancy. And you went to school in Germany or were you living somewhere else? Yeah, no, I'm from England. Um, so I went to school in the north of England, uh, the other side of the Pennines from where Matt was going to school. I know he told you his story on one of the previous podcasts and that resonated with me a lot because uh, I think, I guess he's probably actually a couple of years older than me, but not many, um, because everything that he was saying really resonated with my experience at school, actually. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Yorkshire. Uh, which is the north of England. Um, you, I think you asked your other guests like when they first got connected to computers. And um, I've like, been thinking about this a lot recently because we got a computer in the house when I was at high school, when I was like 13, 14. And, um, you know, that may, has made a huge difference. Being technically native, like being familiar with computers, being like, this is something that you can do this stuff on has really helped me. And I, I don't think that is probably an issue of anyone younger than me, uh, depending where they grew up. But for me, that I think that helped a lot. And that was really thanks down to like my parents and to my mum, because she, she saw that as, a, as something, the way education was going. And now I think they have like, every student has a laptop. Uh, at school, at you know, schools in the UK at least. 
and they get to do all these things on micro bit controllers and stuff like that. But at that time, it wasn't like that at all when I was at school. It was like, the mic- I remember when they first got some computers in one room that you could go and use. Do you have siblings? When that computer came into the house, was it something that had to be shared? Oh, yeah, no, I heard Matt say that he got his computer as a present, but he had to share it. No, that it was a, it was for everybody. So it wasn't in anyone's room. It was in a separate space. And uh, my mum also used it a lot. So I think it was partly also for her. What were you using it for primarily? I, I imagine art-related stuff? Yeah, a bit of like early kind of photo manipulation, um, word files, playing around, game, video games, that kind of thing. <laughs> what were your interests? What were you doing personally? And what were you thinking about life after grade school at that point? So I um, was like focused on a couple of subjects. On the one side, I was maths and physics focused. Um, but on the other side, I was an art student. And I actually followed um, the art path. And I did. I went to art college after I finished grade school. Um, so that was very much the direction I felt that I was going in. I had already started doing a little bit with animation and that was actually my real interest. Um, That was kind of where I thought I was going. So I'd done a little bit on Flash and I'd also done a little bit of like adding Flash into websites um, at that point. But I, yeah, then I U-turned completely. So, yeah, I went to art college after I finished grade school, which was great. Got to, like, you know, draw happy lines and sad lines and angry lines and sit on a hard floor for a week long, uh, all those kind of fun things you do at art college. And then I went to university to study media production with a focus on animation. Um, But somewhere along the line, I kind of got captivated by film cameras and cinematography, and I actually ended up switching my focus to cinematography. So my studies were predominantly in film production with a focus on cinematography and being a camera person. All right, slow down. Okay, okay. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah. So anytime I hear somebody's an art major, all I th- it's horrible, right? I'm so uncultured. We, we talk about this. I talk about this with Andre and Eric, uh, you know, the, designers here at Arden all the time because I feel so uncultured when it comes to the arts. I didn't study it. I didn't do anything with it. I go into Europe in a museum. I see a picture. I go, that's pretty. And that's about as far as I can take it. Um, Other than I can't handle the abstract stuff, but I love the attention to detail in some of those pictures where I'm just like mind-blowing, right? So anytime I hear somebody talking about going to art school, I'm thinking like, renaissance art and you're going to be painting all of that fine Mm -hmm. art Um, but it it sounds like you already had in your heart that you were going to take art into a technical in a technical role with the animation how much animation did you do in high school or or even in university i'd started playing around with flash as i mentioned and a little bit of like stop animation uh kind of using a camera at home so not a huge amount but started kind of playing with it and i really liked like mixed media um i was a big radio hat and gold frap 
uh, fan at the time. So I just really wanted to make cool images to the music that I liked. Oh, man. Do you have any of this uh, animation or video like laying around in a Dropbox somewhere or is it all lost? No, it's somewhere. <laughs> I keep threatening nice. to put it online somewhere, um, but haven't got around to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can help you with that because I'd love to see. It would be really interesting to see some of that stuff now, right? One of my proudest things that I did when I was like a teenager um, was during physics class. We used Barbie dolls to make a stop frame um, animation to talk about wind energy. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the kid I was. I'm really like a bit all over the place, a little indecisive, but you know, having fun. <laughs> it sounds like you enjoyed the creativity aspects of it and then like seeing that final product because I mean, it's a lot of work animation. Yeah, for sure. That might have been why I then later started switching over to camera because I felt like it was um, more instant gratification. But now you're looking at while you're in university, you start to shift your focus more on like what making movies is what you're, what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Which aspect of that did you like the whole writing the scripts? Because I, I did these little movies for my kids when we were young, right? I mean, every hour of work was like a, only a minute of video, I remember from writing scripts to filming to editing, which was the worst. Like, what aspects of the filmmaking got you excited? And actually, which ones were just like draining? Because you have to do it all. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, I was very interested in imagery. So I was really interested in lighting and camera. And um, like that's where I ended up starting to work professionally. But I also played around a little bit with like sound and also with the editing. Um, and I think they're very interesting, but yeah, I, I feel like that, like setting a scene and lighting it and capturing beautiful images was really where my mind was at at that point. That's all I wanted to do. I think storytelling visually I was really interested in, but like sitting and writing scripts, maybe less so. Lighting for us is the absolute hardest thing that we, after even two years of doing this here in the studio, Lighting is our biggest struggle. The light bulbs, literally, no pun intended, have not turned on yet dealing with lighting here. So and for wow. me, that's one of the biggest challenges. And that's the part that you, you love. So talk to me a little bit more about where, where's your eye for the lighting? It depends what you're lighting for, right? Like, I'm talking about lighting scenes for, like, dramatic storytelling, not per se lighting to make sure that someone's face is completely visible for a workshop um, or like a, a tutorial. So it's a slightly different thing. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's, it is, it's storytelling with light and painting with light. And I think that really captured my imagination at that point in time. And I do think it's really fascinating. And there's like clearly people who have mastered it. I wouldn't say I'm one of them. So in university, this is what you're studying. You, you started with animation. You realized that cinema was more. You got really interested in the lighting aspects of telling that story and making that come to life. I'm curious, what else are you doing at university? Is there anything else that you're kind of passionate about outside of this degree that you're going after? I was fairly consumed. I was also working uh, already in the film industry during my degree. Um, so I pretty quickly already into, I think in my second year, started getting paid work as a camera assistant. So yeah, that's the thing. You realize that it's all really nice to be wanting to like set up the lights and call all the shots. But the reality of the job is you have to get in at the bottom rung of the ladder 
<laughs> which normally means crawling around in the dirt, plugging in cables, running batteries back and forth, uh, setting up monitors, making the tea. You're doing it all. <laughs> for the cinema, for the actual camera person. Not quite as glamorous, but I was, I was working pretty much alongside doing my degree. Um, and I, I did have the opportunity where I could have probably left and just gone full time into the industry, but I really kind of wanted to see the degree through to the end. What was the job? Was it a TV studio? Was it, was it theater? Like, like, what are you filming? Yeah, predominantly like indie movies uh, at that point. Um, sorry. Yeah. Going all around the country, living out of my Fiat Punto which would break down quite regularly and, uh, you know, <laughs> turning up on set, working for a few weeks together very intensely with one group of people and going on to the next job. Oh, okay. So you're filming movie. You're actually, you had to get your, the transportation was on you to be there as well. Wow. Yes. And sometimes I used to drive the camera truck as well. <laughs> which was also uh, fun. So, while you're going to university and you're actually in the industry, you're filming these movies, did your passion for that continue to strengthen or did it wither? Because I, I meet a lot, my daughter's already doing it. She's almost done with an education degree and now she realizes she doesn't want to do it anymore. Like she's, she got enough of the experience to say, this is not what I want to do. So when you're near the end of your degree and you're already doing this for two or three years, what direction is your is your head going? Like this is absolutely what I want to do or uh, maybe not. I was at the point where I was like, well, I probably could have done this without coming to university. Um, but university does give you a lot of experiences. And, um, you know, I'd already sunk and my parents had already sunk a fair amount of money into going to university. So I being the good daughter was also like not going to throw the towel in quite yet. Also in the UK, it's normally only like three years. Uh, in Germany, you can extend it beyond that. So it, there was a certain limit to how long it was going to take. Um, and I had a graduation piece. I did a documentary uh, following a Serbian girl traveling down into Kosovo uh, for the first time which I was very invested in. So I really, yeah, I really felt like it was something I wanted to complete. Um, and I felt like university, to be honest, was more of a, uh, just like another tool of having, like being able to demonstrate that level of education um, has certainly, it's like no one's ever asked me for my degree, but I think it does kind of show a level of commitment. So you, you just said that you were filming a, a documentary of uh, someone, talk to me a little bit about that and how that impacted you at all or? Yeah, so I went to Serbia with another group filming a youth group that were all from around Europe um, and we met in Serbia and I was just really touched by some of the stories that I was being told there because um, there was a lot of remnants from the Yugoslavian, um, from the Balkan Wars that were happening in the 90s. So it was kind of a topic I hadn't also known that much about, to be honest, um, shamefully so. Um, and I, I wanted to learn a lot more about it. And I met this girl, Christina, um, and she was going to be part of this group that connected young people from Kosovo, Bosnia and Serbia um, to really like try and build those foundations of understanding between the, the different uh, people. So I decided to go with her and film that journey. Um, 
and yeah it is it is different filming a documentary to something that you've just kind of like created out of your own head um but i learned a lot it was a really special experience to be honest and where's that documentary now like is, is your work available or a lot of this was just pri it was just personal projects that the biggest shame is I really should have put it out there and I should have put it into some festivals and I kind of didn't. I kind of finished my degree and moved on and I was getting all this work as a camera assistant um, and kind of just went with that. But you have it. It's not lost. I have, have it. it. It's not lost. No, no, I have it. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. I think one day you're going to have to publish all of this stuff at some point. I, it sounds – I'd like to watch some of it. I think it's – especially the early work, right, where you're just learning. It's like anything, right? Your early work I think sometimes can be more interesting than than your latter work. I'll make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> now I've said it, so I have to do it. <laughs> yeah, now, now I'm going to hold you to it. So you finish university. You're already working as a camera assistant. Right, what's your – what are you thinking right now from a career? you want to stay being a camera assistant? Do you want to get to being the camera person? Like, what are you thinking right now after university? Yeah, I think after uni, at that point, I was, like, really invested in getting more jobs, uh, you know, working my way up uh, through, like, the hierarchy. It's quite a hierarchical system uh, in the film industry, at least in the UK, um, but I think in most countries so I really was invested in that um but not that long after to be honest I was also getting a bit frustrated with it like it's a very um you have to like move around a lot I always had jobs in different places a lot of work for film in the UK is um in London uh, or secondary maybe Manchester I actually studied up in uh, Newcastle in the northeast um, and I would have loved to have stayed there, but there just wasn't a lot of work around at that time. So, yeah, I kind of, I was in it, but I also kind of was thinking, where is this ultimately going? It's quite difficult to also push through and be very successful and uh, become like a cinematographer, to be honest. So you're, you... You have to be around 21, 22 at this time. So what is your next thing? So you, you're starting to realize this. And so what happens next? What gets you out of this industry into the next one? Well, <laughs> so I met, my, I met my partner in the UK, uh, but he moved to Berlin, Germany. Um, ah. And it became, we, we did a little long distance, but it came evident that that probably wasn't going to work for us. Um, so I moved over to Berlin um, to be with him. And when I moved here, I also thought about continuing the film work. Um, however, it's very contact based. So it's like really who you know. And I just kind of really didn't feel like I wanted to go back in at the bottom and work my way up again. Um, so that was what switched me to wanting to, to make a change. And I think moving to a different country also really helped with that um, I had to learn German so I took time off to do that and that was when I ended up uh, thinking I want to do something different and initially I thought I wanted to go back to animation and like the kind of digital arts um, but what I ended up doing was getting into coffee 
and becoming a speciality coffee roaster uh, <laughs> for, her, for a roastery here in uh, Berlin. What was your partner doing at the time that did he just want to go to Berlin or he had a job or like? He, he kind of wanted to be in Berlin because his friend was here. Uh, he's also like bilingual, so he speaks German already. So that was less of a, a barrier, I guess. He'd lived in Germany before, not in Berlin, though. Were you excited about Berlin? Were you excited about leaving England? Um, <laughs> yes and no. I think I didn't know much about Germany before we moved here. And um, it was a really like pleasant surprise, to be honest. And I'm not sure Berlin is completely representing Germany. Uh, but I do really love it here. I love living here now and I wouldn't change that for the world. But yeah, definitely there was like some anxiety. I was really happy to not per se live in England or the UK. Like I wasn't per se looking to leave, but at the same time, it wasn't a big barrier for me to live somewhere else. So you're roughly about 22, 23. You move to Berlin. You decide that you're not going to start over in this industry that it seems to me you're not terribly excited about anymore. You think you're going to fall back on animation, you're, you're waddling there, and you take this job to learn how to be a barista, right? Like, like you're going to really specialize in... Tell me what this means. What, like, is this job all the way from the picking beans out somehow? Talk to me a little bit about, about what this is. So it started as I needed money, and I went to look for a job, and my German wasn't amazing, so I was like, I really need to work somewhere where they're going to accept <laughs> this level of German and, and English. And I ended up in this coffee shop that um, was just on, just starting to open its own roastery and like really get focused on like the whole process. Um, so I started as the person that was like cleaning the tables and dishes, um, but just got really into it like bitten by the bug like truly um so then i learned how to brew coffee and how to make beautiful uh, latte art and you know that level of professional service um was very interesting to me as well but as i progressed there i then became a lot more interested in kind of the product behind it and the coffee roasting itself um, so they use like night, old 1950s machines that have been refurbished and have like uh, extra probes so you can see they can read out all of the temperature measurements. Um, so it's, it's super interesting. It's like this mix of tech with a craft. So you're like constantly smelling the aromas and looking at the coffee beans and seeing how they're developing uh, while also kind of charting everything out, which then kind of got me led to thinking, oh, maybe I want to do something more in this direction with all this data that's kind of like happening. Um, but it was part, it was the whole thing. I went to, I got amazing opportunity to go to Ethiopia and Kenya and meet the coffee producers that we were working with to see how coffee is uh, grown and uh, produced and all the different processing styles that exist. Um, I think it's an absolutely fascinating project, uh, a product, sorry. You started in a retail store. So did you move into the corporate area of this company at some point because of your interest? It's like you're blending your artisticness again with the technical know-how. Yeah, I think that's what I really liked and what I really like about all of these different kind of 
careers that I've had is it's like that blend of creative and technical and um I yeah was pretty involved in kind of like a wholesale as well at, at a time um so talking to customers and I think um I'm I'm that kind of person that if I get really interested in something I'm fully in and I, I want to explore it as in-depth as possible. How long were you with this company? Uh, just shy of five years. So you can try, you can try age me now. <laughs> well, time does help sometimes with the story because you want to understand the climate you're in. That's true. But what's interesting to me is in, in, within five years, you went from cleaning the tables to helping that corporation with the entire even uh bean selection, right? And then data analysis on what? On the beans, how long to cook them, how long to roast them, how like, t tell me what you're doing with the data. A lot of it's about moisture loss with coffee roasting actually, which is really interesting. So you're looking at um, how much moisture the raw product has and then how that gets lost uh, over the roast process um, and the of course what we're looking for is the effect that it has on the taste so you'll try you'll get a new coffee in and you'll try roast it a few different ways to see which style is going to give you the most in the in the final cup and you're helping out with that part of the business yes uh, you, you must be roasting bags at a time right like so you have to be really clear on what you want Yes, absolutely. And also consistent. Consistency is really key. So, I mean, our, the machine at that point was, I think, a 20 kilo machine. Um, but you, like, because of the moisture loss, you maybe get like 17.5 kilos roasted coffee out of 20 kilos in. You'd have to do multiple roasts and make sure that they were as consistent as possible um, because it's a product, right? You don't want someone one day to drink your coffee and be like, oh, it's like this, and then the next day it'd be completely different. I know no, no thing about coffee. What's now coming into my head is two things. You can't use the coffee beans until they're roasted, and then I could buy the same bag you could, and it could be two separate experiences. Yes, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, absolutely. But when I walk into a retail store at that point, everything's already been roasted. Is that the idea? Yes, and I think um, there's just so many different ways to impart flavor in coffee. Um, but like roast style is part of a brand. So the other part of the brand of the roastery I worked for was um, not blending. So everything was from a single origin, which meant predominantly that it was, if possible, from the same farm. I'm feeling like this is whiskey, right? Single malt, blended. Yes, the yeah. blendeds are always difficult to keep consistent, right? You have to do that. There's a, yes, there's a lot of parallels like wine, it's very close to, you know, you have a lot of similarities to wine. Like we would use tasting notes similar to how you'll see on wine in the coffee descriptions. And like one of the best parts of the job is you just have to like taste all these different coffees and like kind of say what flavors you're getting out of them. Um, it's really fun, actually. Now, are you doing any sort of data gathering and data analysis? Like I, I was curious where the computer starts to come in where the software development piece starts to come in right because everything you're doing is technical but this seems to be the first time where maybe some data data gathering and analysis is going to have to play in yeah i mean we one of the biggest shames that i always found was like not having enough time 
to like really go through the data that we collect because we collect a lot of data so you wouldn't only have the roast data from the temperature probes but we would have like the moisture content of the raw product and the roasted product um the different weights uh, you can also use a machine to measure the color of the roasted product um so we would have that data too we'd have the taste data uh, we have like sheets where we score everything in different levels and rudimentally we would use that data i mean i'm saying rudimentally to me i would have liked to have done more but we we would use this data to then determine how we would continue roasting that coffee how it might need to change over over time as the coffee ages um and i always kind of felt like oh, i want to do a bit more with this so yes that was definitely a point in my mind where i started to switch and think maybe i'm interested in some kind of other style of work is all this data happening on paper and pen? I, I don't know why I get the sense from you that it's all paper and pencil. Like a lot of it, yes, and Excel sheets. <laughs> oh my goodness! Interesting. <laughs> I guess maybe that helps you keep a craft very close. Like I don't know. It's interesting, right? If we if we put it too much in the computer, then do you feel like it loses its uh, humanity or something? Probably not. I think that was more just the way that we were set up to doing it. Um, but I, I mean, I think there is an element of, I've seen in that industry many approaches to replicate um, what is traditionally done by human hands, let's say, uh, to varying degrees of success. Um, so I think there is an element, it's a chemical react. it's all chemistry, right? Like coffee is all chemistry it's very complex so it's like very difficult to like one-to-one -one replicate with simple instructions gotcha okay so you're coming near the end of the of this decade of your 20s you've done kind of five years here you're what what happened what, what took you out of the coffee industry and, and and what was the next thing that you did yeah so I, <laughs> I was uh, already out of the 20s, I will say, <laughs> uh, at this point. <laughs> so you just, just rounded the corner. I, don't know, just... I let you uh, cut a couple of years earlier. Uh, <laughs> but I, I was kind of thinking a few things, I guess. Like, you know, to be real, I was kind of thinking, do I really want to do this another five years, another 10 years? Like, where, where am I going with this? Um, financially, I was thinking I, I'd like to earn a little bit more. Uh, it's a very physical um, job. Like you get 70 kilo sacks of coffee beans that you have to like drag in from the truck. And uh, I kind of was not sure if I wanted to keep doing that um, aspect of the work. And yeah, I just was looking, for, I was looking for a change. Well, your career path would have been opening up your own roasting, right? I mean, at that point. Yeah, and I didn't want to do that. I, I wasn't interested in opening my own business, to be honest. That That I knew. Okay. So then you decide now you're going to do something new. You have experience with this already. So there's, is there, do, do you have that hesitation, sense of fear going from something comfortable to something completely new? Yes. I think that's pretty natural to have a sense of anxiety of like, oh, I'm going to throw myself into a situation where I know almost nothing about it. However, I also find it quite liber liberating personally of being like the 
least knowledgeable person in the room and having lots of people to learn from. Um, I found like I really enjoyed that when I when I got into coffee and like I was working with all these baristas who I could look over the shoulder and see how they brewed espresso and got uh, the extraction correct and how they made latte art and I really I really vibe off learning so I really kind of don't mind actually being the least knowledgeable person in the room. So what happens now? Where did you where did life take you? So I'm celebrating my four-year anniversary actually this this weekend four years ago was when I finished that job in coffee um, and I took the entire summer off because I needed a break. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people, when they start to learn to code and they do self-learning, which is what I did, they're doing it alongside working a full-time job. And I knew I couldn't do that. So before I left, I did start to look into programming um, because I had had this earlier experience of like uh, Dreamweaver and building some like kind of websites, uh, and mainly with the Flash animation. So I started to look into it, but I, I really needed like full focus if I was going to make the switch. And I knew that about myself. So I took the entire summer off. And then in the um, October or the fall, I was doing a German class. And then f alongside that, when I wasn't doing the German class, I was studying programming, um, starting with Python and JavaScript. All right. I want to pull you back. So I think you're you're not telling me something here because... Okay. Up until the, y you had done some software stuff with, you know, with the animation, you've done some of that. Um, you were doing data analysis, right, somewhat in the coffee side. But I, I haven't seen anything so far in your story where, like, Heads down, software development is kind of on your radar screen. Was there something in between mm. the time at the edge of the finishing the coffee and taking that break that that came up on your radar screen? Like, this is what I want to do. There's got to be something, right, that the light bulb goes on there. I mean, my partner was really suggesting I become a programmer as well. I think he's he's hoping that I start earning enough money so he can retire. <laughs> 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 the dream <laughs> um yeah <laughs> so I, I yeah i think his support really made a difference for me to he works in video games so i think having some scope of this lifestyle did help okay the influence is coming i think a big influence is coming from your partner like there's an industry here that you should tap into yeah, and the, like what that might look like lifestyle-wise. Because I say part of it was also, I was, I never had thought that I would want a job where I'm sat at my desk all day, um, to be honest. Like, but at this point, I was thinking I, I definitely need to change it up a little bit. So, so you take the summer off. You uh, just walk around Berlin with open bottles of beer. I know, I've seen it. It's all good. I'd love to do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part of Berlin. <laughs> uh, so you take the summer off, you fight the yeah. bees, you get into the fall, and you decide to start taking formal classes then? So actually here in Germany, um, they have a very supportive system for people who are uh, jobless. 
I mean, I say very supportive. It, it still somewhat depends on who you are and where you're coming from. Let's be clear. Um, but very fortunately for me, I was able to get quite a bit of support from the government here, um, which included a budget for further education. So part of that was an additional German class to get my German up to the next level. And then part of that was uh, classes in web development. Um, now, I will say those classes were predominantly still me learning myself uh, online. And it's, it's very much more down to like all of the amazing online content uh, that exists out there than what I was per se given at this course. But what it did buy me was time. And that, that's the big thing, like time and space to be able to sit down and look at this and say, okay, what's this about? Learn some syntax, build a project, get comfortable with it. And that, that made a big difference. I'm, I'm curious what the project was, because if you do self-study, you need a, a real project, right? You can't do this without it. What, what was the ideas or the projects that you were building? Okay, so I wanted a job. So my idea was, I think this was in PHP as well at the time, um, was something that would create a PDF CV uh, from a form. Okay. <laughs> so input fields, outputs a PDF. <laughs> Did you get it working? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, got, I mean, not the prettiest CV, but that's okay. I've got a job, so. <laughs> and it had your picture on it, right? You believe that? I, 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 it's a most, that's a, for another show. But you have to have your picture yeah. on the CVs in, in Germany, right? I mean, technically, it's not legal requirement anymore, but it's still very, I mean, I was in a school with from the job agency, and they really recommended it. All right. So yeah. how long do you do this self-study for? You're, you, you finish the fall all the way through the spring. Is it like a year of self-study before you feel you're ready for the marketplace in terms of, a, in terms of interviewing? How do you get from self-study to that first interview i will say alongside all of this happening i the, and this is a topic of itself but alongside all of this happening i started getting into the communities and that was a game changer so i started going to various community groups um and doing studying and networking and talking to other people who were either at the same stage as i was or they were already working in the industry um, and that was really the biggest push um in terms of what came next, what came next was I applied for a, an amazing scholarship called Rails Girls Summer of Code, which sadly doesn't happen anymore. Um, but it's the three months paid scholarship where you work on open source projects. And I um, had found out about this and I wanted to sign up to it, but you have to do it as a, as a team, like two people. Um, so I had written on one of these community groups, a little note saying, hey, does anyone want to do this with me? Um, and I got very few replies, <laughs> very few. But one of them was this amazing woman called Artie. And um, she was also at that point learning to code. And we both went in for this application process together, um, which, you know, it, we didn't really know each other that well. And we had to do a lot of work together. And then we, we got it and we spent the whole summer or like three months of the summer working on this project together. Um, so it was amazing and we're both still really close. I saw her yesterday um, she's doing amazing as well in the industry. 
Yeah. One of the stresses was she actually got a job at the same time as we got the scholarship. And, um, you know, the thing was, if she didn't do it, I couldn't do it. Uh-huh. So she ended up doing both. She worked part time and she did the scholarship part time, um, which, yeah, I'm very thankful to her for. So I'm going to just rewind a little bit before we get into that. I, I remember the first time that I realized that there were groups of people out there meeting to talk about tech. It was mind blowing to me. I, I was like really excited about it, right? Same. How did you first, do you remember that first moment of, oh my God, there's, there are these groups. I've got to be a part of that. Did you stumble on it? Did your partner tell you about them? Like, I'm curious how that evolved. Um, I think I stumbled across it and it was Pi Ladies Berlin. And I got there, it was at Delivery Hero, one of the big tech companies here. And they were like, there's pizza and beer and we're gonna teach you something for an hour and a half for free. <laughs> and I was like, I'm in. I don't know what this is about, but I'm in 100%. Um, and I, I was mind blown. I had to say, I was like, I've unlocked the door to gosh knows what. Um, and I really, you know, really vibed with that. And um, once I started going, I started also then to support these groups in organizing because they were looking for organizers. And at first I was like, oh my goodness, I can't possibly help. I've just got into tech. Like, how could I help them at all? Um, but that's a fallacy. And yeah, that was so rewarding. Um, and then you notice like people sometimes complain about you not having the right type of club matter and you think, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> but you don't mess with people's club matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of getting involved in the meetups and going out to the groups and meeting people and sharing your experiences. And- I know everybody helping each other, right? I think that's, those are big wins there. All right, so. And you're a big part of my story, Bill, because when you, when I first met you, just embarrass you now, but like when I first met you, it was the Women Who Go uh, Ultimate Go Services weekend, which I had like just by chance signed up to. And honestly, it was eye-opening. Like the way that you talk about Go and about programming, I had not come across that at all until that point. And that was that was hooked. That's why I'm a Go developer now, today, because of that, for sure. Wow. Well, I'm glad you were there because, you know, I, I love that, you know, I'm glad you were there. Let's just <laughs> All right. So <laughs> let's try to get to that because where I'm at right now is you spent – Moment, what, like a year and a half, maybe two years then studying between from the time you started to how long was it from the the time that you started? You took that boot camp, right? What was that, a three month program? Yeah. And then from there yeah, you got the job where you are now? Uh, I got an internship at the company I'm at now. So I, I applied for a job that I and they were like, We like you, but you're not really qualified for this job, which was completely fair. Um I wasn't, but they then decided that they would, they didn't want to let, let the opportunity to work with me pass, I guess. I'm very fortunate. And uh, I got an internship there instead. Okay. So you got this internship. Wow. That's really interesting. Because at that point, what, what was the tech that you knew at that point? What, what were you learning at the, um, the school that you'd gone to? I'd done a bit of JavaScript, mainly JavaScript, 
um because i've done predominantly like web-based stuff and front-end things the the scholarship that i did we were mainly working with Vue.js. i'd done quite a bit of python and i'd done little bits of go with the uh, rona at women who go so and and uh, the assignment for this position was in go and um I know you've asked some of the other guests also about like assignments and if they got something from it. And like for me, doing the assignment was, it was one of the best projects I've done. Like I really, really enjoyed it. I certainly spent way too much time on it or I spent a lot more time than the intention uh, was of the assignment. But it was a very good small project to get going. Um, and I, yeah. I really valued having that opportunity, actually. Okay, okay, right. And and when you submitted that project, do you think that had a big role in them saying that this is somebody we want working here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I definitely tried to go in above and beyond. Um, and I, you know, took it to the point where, like, I even asked Rona to support me in terms of, like, having a look and telling me if there was anything glaringly obvious that I uh, was missing. Not to be like, can you do this for me? It was very much, like, my own work. Um, And you know Rona, she wouldn't have let me have it otherwise. (laughs) But, um, you know, I think I did make a big impression with that. Um, So, And I had met the company previously because of Women Who Go. So Rona had organized one of the women who go at Akosia previously, and I was there and I'd met some of the developers there. So I would say this probably also impacted. Was it a paid internship or was it your volunteer time? They hadn't had an internship before. They created this purely for me to be able to join the team. Um, So part of me also being there was to define a little bit what this was going to look like. Uh, we settled on a payment that was the working student rate, um, which is like an hourly rate, but we just worked with that on like a 40 hour week uh, to to make like a monthly salary. Um, so yeah, it was paid, um, which it would have been pretty difficult for me to have done it without it being paid because I didn't have any money left in the bank at this point. Um, yeah, and it kind of had to define a little bit like how that was going to look and what I would like to have do, do in this. I had a really supportive uh, mentor in the team who worked with me a lot at the start. And I think I was really quickly contributing code. Uh, like even in the first week, I was starting to write a new service. And um, very early on, I also even did like daytime on-call shifts um, and like really embedded in the team. And how long were you, I have a couple questions here, but the first one is how long was your internship at that point? When did, when did they move you to a full-time developer, whatever the title is? The internship was already agreed at six months. Um, so it was six months and then they were like, I think after three months, we're like, we're already going to keep you on. Like we know we're already going to be able to make space for you and the team. Um, and then I became a junior engineer. Do they still have this internship in place? Or are they still using it, leveraging these idea, this idea? Very, very sadly, no. We do not currently have this in place. Uh, what we did do last summer, um, which was an initiative that I 
supported a lot was we did uh, a kosher summer of code which was like a light version of the rails girls summer of code that i had done before i joined at Ecosia. so the rails girls summer of code program was supposed to run last year and we had people apply to do it with us because you provide like a space and uh, maybe equipment and mentors uh, for the team and then it got cancelled so the the people the two teams that we had already kind of been involved with we said hey we'd like to still put something together for you um and in the end it was one person from each team so it was only one team that we ran this with uh, it was only six weeks and essentially what we did is have kind of like an open door hours where there would be a developer from Ecosia uh, available for them to ask questions to and then they would have knowledge sharing sessions that would be about like an hour an hour and a half on a specific topic so some of them were about test driven development something about like QA something about like audio and the web like a broad range of topics um, and these two developers did that in their own time uh, at that point we didn't offer financial support and we're hoping to repeat it but with financial support because I do think that's very very important uh, but even more so what I'm hoping is to be able to put this together in kind of a template so other companies would be able to replicate this themselves because I desperately think we're missing entry-level positions and uh, support for embedding entry-level people into companies. I, I'm with you a thousand percent. I mean, look at the, from a company perspective, look how valuable you are to them, right? They gave you a chance. It, it costs them technically very little when you look at corporate finances. And if, if it hadn't worked out, it didn't work out, but it did, right? And now they have someone like you there really adding value. I, I love this idea. Um, my problem at Arden really is I wish we could do more of it. We're not a product company. You know, we're, we're going into clients and doing consulting. And so it kills me sometimes that we can't do, people are asking me all the time, can I do an internship? And I'm just like, I don't know if my clients are going to want an intern right now, right? But if you're a product company, and you've got a little bit of that margin. I, if I was a products company, I'd love this idea. I mean, I think we have to get creative of how we, how we do it because I think there's a lot of stigma around having entry-level folks and then being a burden, to just put it as it is. Uh, and I think it, that is not true. Uh, I think there's a lot of benefits to having entry-level folks join in a company. Um, and I think most of them, most people are fairly competent to pick things up, you know, rather quick period of time given the opportunity um and I, you know you have to give them the opportunity so you have to provide the things that they need to be able to get up to speed but if you're able to do that they can become like valuable team members rather quickly um and i think some of the problems that i'm seeing is that we are not creating those environments and those opportunities for people and i have to say like most of the stuff i learned i learned when i got on the job there's only so much you can learn beforehand before actually then being embedded in a team and working with a team. Right. I, uh, the problem solving is more important than the tech at the end of the day. I, I'm with you. When I manage dev teams, I always loved to hire people with a little less experience who are hungry. 
always, right? But I, I had a lot of people in my life that just always felt like they wanted that more experienced person. I, I, but I'm with you. I, I love giving people opportunities who are hungry for it. I, I used to do what I used to do in interviews sometimes is say, you know, you're not 100% qualified for this, but I'm willing to give you a chance, right? I'm going to give you 45 days to prove that you can do this job. If you can't in 45 days, I'm going to let you go. But if you want to take that chance, you want to you want to prove to me you can, the opportunity is yours. And I would have people say, no, thank you, right? They would just say, no, thank you. And I'd be like, okay, that's fair, right? Like, but anybody who's ever said to me, absolutely, I know I can do this. They've always been some of my best, best employees ever. Yeah, I'd like to see it. I mean, I think that's something that's still really relevant for me. Like, I don't fully feel in a position right now um, to be able to bring people in. I can't, I, I'm not in complete control of hiring, right? So I'm not in a position to do that. But I do think I can offer a lot of support to people who are also similar to myself trying to get or similar to how I was trying to get into the industry. So I, that's where a lot of the community work comes in and mentoring comes in and then like trying to connect people um, and trying to understand what the problems are that the people that are trying to get into the industry face. Because I think a lot of the time it's very hard. Um, I think I heard Johnny mention this also on Go Time um, of like it's the frame of mind people are in when they just want to get into the industry and get a job. And the anxiety they have around things like money, which once you're already in a well-paying tech job, you just don't have. And it's very hard to remember, like to go back in your head to how that feels. Um, and I think that's something I definitely observed, like getting into tech. A lot of the things that I was concerned about just weren't even on the radar of my peers, which makes total sense and is fine. But then there's that disconnect between you and them. The first job I took back in 1991 was for $18,000 a year because there was no jobs at the time and somebody was basically offering me some work after looking for eight or nine months. Like, like I remember that, right? I mean, well, way below even yeah. back then with the... What, it sticks with you. I, I've never forgotten that. So I, I'm always wanting to make sure that people have at least what they need before they're going to start anything new like you can't be worried about money once you take the job either like it money may not be your most important thing but it's important so let's at least have what you need so you're not thinking over the next 12 to 18 months right for the next thing so yeah but that intern idea i is it was wonderful right like but let's let's be fair you you took that year and a half, you did some formal study, you really focused, you got, you got out there, you met people in the local communities, and I think all of that really helps um, make a big difference if this is the career you're going after, right? It does, but I think also there's an element of timing and luck, to be honest, because I got a job very, like what I would consider rather quickly, um, and I've noticed a lot in the in the groups of people that are trying to get into tech or have just got into tech that they'll focus a lot on like how long did it take you to get this and on the one hand I understand that because if you're going into this you have to have an idea of what the investment is 
Um, so like for me, I saved money before I quit my job in the coffee shop uh, because I was like, I need to support myself. And I had an idea of like, okay, I can probably live okay for like the next six months, then it's going to get tight and maybe I'm going to have to consider getting a part-time job. But I think on the other hand, it, it doesn't help us to talk too much about like how quickly you got a position because there's people who are applying, 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 get rejected, rejected, rejected. And then they just get that next opportunity, like then they get their job. And you know, I'm not saying, I think it like you have to put the work in, but there is an element of being at the right time at the right place. Um, and you know, timing is everything for, for sure. Timing is everything. Yeah. All right. I've got nine more minutes or eight more minutes. And I, what I really want to do is use the last eight minutes to ask you about what I'm seeing from you more and more every few months, which is you speaking at meetups, events, conferences. You're really out there right now um, sharing your thoughts and ideas. And I'm seeing you really focused on like environmental issues too, not just tech. So was that always something you were interested in, being out there and helping to be a voice and educate? Is were you doing some of that before tech? Has tech kind of given you that platform? I'm really interested if this was an accident, something you've always enjoyed, or just an opportunity you've taken advantage of. All of those options, <laughs> I would say. Um, like, there's, there's something to leverage there for sure, I would say, if you're the kind of person that is comfortable enough um, to speak in front of groups of people. And I say comfortable enough because I still get a massive amount of anxiety every time I do one of those presentations. Um, I did do quite a bit of it also when I was working in coffee to talk about what we were doing at the coffee roastery, but also to talk about different producers. Um, and I do really like being able to share knowledge with people like a hundred and 200 uh, percent you know like that for me is like really special to be able to like give someone like share something with someone and then be like oh that's really awesome and i think uh you know the thing that tells me that i should keep doing this is whenever i get a message afterwards from someone who said that really helped me to hear you talk about that um and that tells me i should keep doing this even if I feel nervous. <laughs> awesome. Brilliant. Now, you all, you're, you're very good at hiding it, which every speaker is nervous like that. I get nervous, even though I've done this a few times. Actually, my most nervous is the first minute. If I get through the first minute, yes. actually, you know what? You know, if you've ever noticed before a talk, I am on stage about two minutes before I have to speak. I have noticed that, actually, yeah. Mm, I'm, those, those are the two minutes that, that calm me down. Walmart. Yeah. And then I talk mm. to the crowd a little bit and I, I get that two minutes over. And then by the time the talk starts, I've already been up there. It's much harder when you first walk up That's a great because tip. You're, you're disoriented. But if you let yourself get up there for a couple of minutes first, you'll, and then you get the first sentence out and then you're rolling. So it is, if you're, if, if anytime you can get up there for a couple of minutes That's before, just, it, that's your time, you know. Anyway. I don't know what the Zoom equivalent of that is. 
It's a bit different when you're online. You come in five minutes early. No, actually it isn't. I tell the meetup organizers to, to bring me on five minutes early to make me live. Okay. And I can interact and play around a little bit with whoever's online and, and, I, and, I, and I get that going. The only other thing you have to remember when we get back to physical classes is the moment you're in the room, you're on, no matter no matter if you're early or late. Yeah, there's no... So if you ever see me again <laughs> live, um, you will not see me in the room. I mean, I hope I, I see you again I, live. I, I, like, well, well, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> if we can do these workshops again where we're all in the same room, and they're not virtual, I hope. <laughs> I would never walk into the room until I was ready to be to be on just silly little things but but um they all work that's a good that's a good thing. yeah because you're doing a lot of speaking out there and i and i love everything that you're out there talking about so thank you i appreciate that we need a lot more voices we need new voices fresh voices fresh ideas everybody's yeah right i mean we've had 10 years of go and it's the same like 10 12 people I, you know there has to be there has to be new people always kind of rotating their thoughts and ideas so, Jessica, for everybody who's been listening and may want to reach out because they, they have questions for you, maybe they're on a similar path as you, um, or they just have questions about anything that they, they, they're compelled, how can somebody uh, reach you um, to talk to you? Uh, yeah, probably, I guess, on Twitter. I'm, uh, my handle is at Sleepy Pioneer. Uh, that's also my GitHub handle as well. Um, or people can, I guess, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, or if you're interested in Ecosia and the work that we're doing around sustainability, you can check out the uh, our website, ecosia.org. All right. We are out of time, unfortunately. So thank you so much for spending an hour with us today. My name is Bill Kennedy with the Arden Labs podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me and Jessica today.